Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. We have a good show for you today. We are going to be focusing primarily on reviewing our book of the quarter, How She Did It, by Molly Huddle and Sarah Slattery. Before we talk about that, we're going to discuss Tim Tollefson's new video that was produced by Koros, in which he talks a bit about uh, his mindset and how that's related to his uh, personal struggles with OCD and body dysmorphia. Uh, we'll also give a quick update on the Backyard Ultra World Championships. If you missed that, you'll want to uh, listen to us talking a little bit about that. Uh, we hear about Eric getting ready for the Delirium 24, which is coming up next weekend. Um, and we'll hear Michelle compare West Virginia to Colorado. Uh, and she goes on to insist that West Virginia is the Colorado of the East, which I think is a little bit dodgy, but you'll want to hear her rationale. Thanks for joining us. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach would be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race trips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan-friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto-friendly. They've all been well-researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a college professor, and I'm the father of twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a CPA and a mom to three girls. 
And my name's Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm the father to three college students and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. I am excited to be back with y'all here after a couple of weeks. I forget how much I miss you and how much I enjoy being with y'all until I'm forced to miss it by a week. So how are we doing? Michelle, didn't you go back to West Virginia this past weekend? Uh, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> well, you told us about it when you went there for the first time and you said they have bridge day at this park and it's fantastic. And maybe I'll go back. You went back, right? Highly recommend uh, New River Gorge National Park. It's just unbelievably stunning. And it's only been a national park, you know, for I think less than two years. So it happened during cool. the pandemic. Um, it's big <laughs> on whitewater. It's big on climbing, um, a lot of fly fishing not not as much trail running as you'd think, but I I sort of somehow associate West Virginia with maybe Colorado-ish of the East. Yeah, I kind of fell in love with it and it's gorgeous. Words that no one has ever said before, you heard for the first time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast, West Virginia is the Colorado of the East. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I feel confident that nobody has ever described West Virginia as the Colorado of the East, Michelle. But I, I have to tell you, there's something about Fayetteville, West Virginia reminds me of what Brevard was 25 years ago. All right. But because it's now a national park, because New River Gorge is now a national park, you can already see what's going to happen in terms of the commercialization and the value of land and, um, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people flocking there every single year. So it's, uh, I kind of feel bad for the people there. <laughs> I, I feel like I know what, what they're about, you know, what it's going to be like there in 20 or 25 years. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. I like Western North Carolina. I mean, I know that Eric does too. So Asheville, et cetera. Um, and, and Chattanooga, Tennessee has definitely kind of styled itself as this new outdoor hub uh, here in the southeastern United States. And so yeah, maybe, so maybe Fayetteville, Fayetteville or or some <laughs> other place in West Virginia is going to be the next sort of eastern outdoorsy spot. Yeah. Like the Colorado of the East, one might say. <laughs> Listen, I don't want to. There's nothing I can't. I'm going to get in so much trouble for saying that. I think I'm just referring to the amount of like the vast amount of land and mountains and, you know, minimal people and rural towns and old mining towns that are completely, um, you know, like desolate, but the whole town still stands, so to speak. Like there's just a lot of, there's tons of civil war history there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's cool. Great. I'm a fan. <laughs> so I don't know if this really ties into this conversation or not. And I'll keep, unlikely. I'll keep my comments <laughs> to 30 seconds or less. <laughs> But when Melissa and Grace went out to Leadville, one of the comments, great, they loved it. They absolutely loved the town of Leadville. And I think what Grace's comment was, it's just the right amount of shitty. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, this Fayetteville, West Virginia is Leadville-ish. Yeah. I mean, there's it's no more teeners. There's, there's, there's nothing. There's... But but there is things that are, yeah, shittyish. You know, nice. Is it Boone? <laughs> is it Boone that has the, um, you know, keep Boone weird? Sticker? Boone is so fancy so, compared well, to Fayetteville, well, West Virginia. Yeah, you, you had Austin that was keep Austin weird. That's where I think that started. But then nice. I think Boone picked it up, and Asheville picked it up, and probably Boulder picked it up. And these right, towns think, are so civilized. Like I think Boone, we need to go for Asheville. Fayetteville is not like that. Keep Fayetteville shitty. Yeah. <laughs> I want that bumper sticker. I think I'll make there that bumper go. sticker. There you go. Very good. Very good. I mean, I, I was reading an article just yesterday, as a matter of fact, about a new um, uh, ultra marathon that's going to be on Route 66. Um, you know, America's main street, you know, that, that traditional highway that stretches in between Chicago and California. Um, and it's going to be like a hundred and I want to say 40 miles long. Um, and it's being directed and publicized by Marshall Ulrich, um, who, uh, is an ultra runner and a well-established badass in the ultra world. Um, and has spent a lot of time doing eco challenge over the course of the last little while here. But anyway, um, he was no relation to Jan. So no relation to Jan Ulrich. No, no, no. Uh, important point. Yes, indeed. Um, but but he was talking about how Leadville, Colorado, specifically, 
um, was salvaged um, because of the Leadville 100 race and and how much attention that has gotten, particularly over the course of the past decade, um, and, and how much prosperity that's actually brought to that town. Um, so, you know, maybe, Michelle, you should start an ultra race in also, Fayetteville, West Virginia. And years from now, 100 years from now, they will say, they will be putting up statues to you and talking about how you changed that entire region. I think you might have found your calling. Okay, maybe. <laughs> the other thing that this area of the United States has is unbelievable foliage. Like yeah, you can cool. go to the Smokies, you can go, you know, and it's, and it's good and it's great in North Georgia and it's beautiful, but this is like, whoa. Yeah. I'm a that big is, fan. That is cool. That is if cool. Anybody, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that can be mind blowing for those of us who grew up in areas where there's more evergreen trees, but yeah, yeah. having, having lived a year in New Hampshire, I am familiar with, with, it's the splendor of a fall like yeah. takes my breath away beautiful for sure very cool very cool eric what you up to man preparing for the delirium 24 mm -hmm. um which is next weekend not this coming weekend but the following weekend the end of october mm -hmm. i'm officially in the tapir uh <laughs> i've gotten four i've actually gotten four big weeks in in a row which was nice and then um, I've started adding a little more riding and backing off on the running a little bit to start the, the taper down to, you know, I'll take a couple days off next week and then making the trip down to South Carolina, hanging out with good friend Brett and running till we drop. That's how, how much, how much are you planning to run or how much you hope to run? Do you have a goal? Mm -hmm. I'm going to run. So, <laughs> that's right you're gonna run for roughly about 24 hours as far as you possibly can that's the goal that's the plan that is the goal that is the right. goal uh, right now the weather looks really good i i feel really good i've actually spent a lot of time working on uh stretching and rolling and you know i haven't done as much sleeping as i should probably be doing but that will you know I'll be integrating that into my plan over the next you know five or six days but uh you know brett and i talked about this I'm not really going in with a distance goal. I'm going in with a time goal, mm -hmm. get to the 24 hour point mm -hmm. and, you know, we'll see how it plays out. It, Brett knows a lot of the runners involved in the race. And yeah. there, there's a significant group of people that Brett knows or knows of that can get well over a hundred miles. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this would be my first 24 running, you know, just by myself. Mm -hmm. Obviously there'll be other people at the race, but, not you know not packing for somebody else or or helping somebody else through the event so we'll see you know i, I don't really know uh, i'm excited but, for you yeah you know i'm trying to and i'm trying to tamp down my excitement <laughs> i, I want to go into this as unexcited as possible yeah. and and keep those keep that pace way down and see how far i can go so very good very good. After Eric. after this uh, after we sign off, Michelle and I will do an over under where we guess uh, guess exactly how far you're going to run, but we won't tell you what it is, Eric. <laughs> Eric, are you getting less sleep because you're waking up to get out the door by like five five fifteen a.m.? Yes. Like your so, nighttime routine is the same, but you've incorporated early morning runs. So Michelle is Strava stalking me. So yes, I, I'm. This was a bit conscious and a bit unconscious. So I know that it's better to run in the morning. Mm -hmm. You're more focused, your 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 patience, I guess, and your your not not just energy level, but your ability to like get out the door and get it done is is higher. So I, I made a conscious decision to do that. But the the other piece of it is um the the difficulty of doing that in itself is ultra training. Because with the weather, with the the light changing, I'm running in pitch black. I'm running under Orion and the Big Dipper, and that's just a different mentality. And that's the tough part of ultras, right? You know, I'm running in 32 degree weather or 33 degree weather this morning. So um, there's a little bit of kind of ultra training in that also. So, but yeah. I do need to figure out how to adjust that um, evening time frame mm -hmm. to get more sleep it's funny it's and it's really funny you should say this michelle and i'm trying not to make this a 10 minute monologue but garmin asked me 
would you like to see, you know, highlights about your sleep patterns? And oh, I was like, no. Popped up. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what, what is it going to say? And I, I clicked on it, you know, I'm the tech guy. So I clicked on it. Like, what is this going to be? And it puts up, it puts up this little graph and it puts two bars on the graph of 2200 and, or sorry, 10 o'clock, 10 PM and 6 AM. And it shows me that all of my sleep is between those two times. And instead of telling me you're not getting enough sleep, it says it's really important to go to bed at the same time and get up at the same time every day. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm getting five, five and a half hours of sleep, but it's telling me good job because you're going to bed at about the same time and you're getting up at about the same time every day. So, so it's, it's happy that you have a routine, even if the routine kind of sucks. That's right. (laughs) Because that's better than not having a routine and not getting enough sleep. So I guess so. I guess. Thank you, Garmin. Thank you. So, So what you're talking about reminds me of two things. Um, The first thing it reminds me of is that friend of the podcast, Danielle Friedman, had an article in uh, the New York Times this week. Um, And I I read it and I know that both y'all read it as well. Um, And it was uh, talking about how to establish a strength routine. Um, and the one that you will actually stick to, I think the headline said, or something like that. Um, but it had several pieces of advice for people who have, uh, as she describes in her book, and as she talked about on the podcast, dabbled with different things, but had a hard time actually sticking long term to a particular fitness uh, routine. Um, but she talked about one of the pieces of advice that she gave, and she, of course, interviewed several exercise physiologists and researchers and that sort of thing. But one of the things she said was that you should do it first thing in the morning because your ability to practice self-control wanes throughout the course of the day. That you have to practice self-control so many times throughout the course of your day, whether it's choosing not to eat something or forcing yourself to do some work when you'd rather watch YouTube videos or whatever it happens to be. Since you have to do so much self-control, by the end of the day, you are tired of controlling yourself and and you have lost your ability to make yourself do hard things. Um, and so if you do it at the beginning of the day, you still have a solid reservoir of self-control. Um, that definitely aligns with my experience, by the way. Um, oh, and, it's, sure. and it's and it's and it's it's exactly what Eric was describing just now, right? That, Poorly. that it's easier Poorly. it's but easier to make yourself go out and do it if you do it first thing of the day. I, I totally agree with that. Um, um, the other thing that I thought was interesting in that article is she used a term called temptation bundling, which is something that Michelle, I know has done a lot. Um, and it says that, that if you have something you really want to do, like watch a particular show or listen to a particular podcast or something else like that, tell yourself that you'll only do it while you're on the treadmill or while you're doing your workout or something like that. Um, and then you get to do something that you really want to do, but only while you're doing something that you're trying to make yourself do as well. I thought that was that's why I run ultras because I want to eat candy bars. (laughs) No, but for me, this was more like conflicts with childcare, needing to get in whatever, anything from a 35 minute run to like a two hour plus run. And I think I did all of Star Wars. Um, I did most of the Marvel movies and then it was just, okay, well, I'm only going to do it on the treadmill. So then it made the treadmill like enticing. Um, Because I knew I would get to, you know, pick up where I left off in whatever movie. Exactly. So the second thing that you will never hear anywhere ever again, and you probably have never heard, that made the treadmill treadmill enticing. (laughs) I think think that phrase has actually been uttered on this podcast before. I might have said the same thing about when I started using Zwift on the treadmill. um, I've probably said it in other ways when I'm talking about, you know, the dead of the summer i mm. prefer the treadmill more in the summer mm. really than the winter so uh, yeah i i ultimately use the treadmill more often during the summer than i do during the winter as strange as that sounds um but but yeah over the course of the past couple of weeks here now that it's fully october and it's fall in the south which has been lovely i i don't have to use the treadmill as much because if i want to go out at three o'clock in the afternoon and do a run i can yeah um i was supposed to cross on august 20th if i want to go out at three o'clock in the afternoon and do a run it's too hot but it's perfect today. Yeah, it's, it's just, nice. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's super nice. The other thing that Eric's uh, uh, talking about, Delirium 24, reminded me of um, was uh, something that folks might have missed this uh, this week from uh, the Backyard World Championship. 
Um, and so the the backyard format, this thing that's sort of fairly new actually in ultra running, um, is where you do one lap at the top of every hour, and the lap is four point one six seven miles. Um, and so at the top of every single hour, you start a single lap, and you can go as fast or slow as you want over the course of that hour. But at the top of the hour, you have to start your next lap. 4.167 miles, 4.167 miles over and over and over and over again. Um, and so there was a world championship and the world championship, they they actually coordinated it by doing 55 different races all at the same time. Um, and so you had the Japanese people running in Japan. You had the Belgian people running in Belgium. You had the people from the United States running in the United States. And they also made it a team event this year such that the top 15 um, finishers from your country um, you would add together the total number of laps that they got um, and whoever had the most would win the team competition. Um, and so there was two Belgians um, that broke the backyard ultra record um, by running uh, 101 laps. They also DNF. <laughs> so exactly. 101 laps. Um, they started over the course. And I mean, you do that 24 hours a day, 101 laps. It's more than four days they were running. And then, of course, 101 laps, that, that's 4.167 miles per lap. That means they ran uh, almost 420 miles, um, which is farther than anybody's ever done. Uh, one of them was named Marin Geertz, and the other one was named Ivo Stiart. Um, and and Ivo Stiart, the farthest he had ever done was was uh, 50 laps, as a matter of fact. But Marin Geertz at a race earlier this year had done 90 and was the current world record holder. But the two of them together kept starting together, starting together. The third place guy ended up stopping at 86 laps, a guy from Japan. Um, and yeah, they got to the start of what was going to be the 100 second loop. Um, and rather than starting, they both kind of gave each other a hug and and didn't start. And according to the rules, they are both now listed as DNFs and the event has no winner. So however, <laughs> however, however, they, they set a world record record. <laughs> Ultra is so weird. <laughs> I hope they got a nap by now. So I, I, I'm willing to bet they probably have not woken up yet. <laughs> <laughs> or it's just too hard to get good sleep still. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Um, you know, after my wife um, set that record in Ram. Uh, race across America. Um, we all, the crew and the uh, the the athletes, we would wake up for two or three days afterwards and feel like like we needed to keep going. Like we gotta yeah. go, gotta go, gotta move. And it's like, no, we're done. We can stop. You <laughs> can know. Stop. Um, but that just sort of drive over the course of eight days to keep on going. I'm sure they had some some version of that, right? That you wake up and it's like, I'm supposed to be running. No, you're not. You're done. You're good. Um, but yeah, that's incredible. Um, I was we, we were joking about it on the Blue Ridge Relay text thread that that in, in some ways it encapsulates both what is so fantastic and what is so insane about ultra running. Um, we, we didn't use the word insane. We used the word stupid, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably a better word for it, honestly. Um, but the that that it's incredible what they did. It is absolutely incredible. But the, and, and they set a world record doing it. They've done something that nobody's ever done before. It was what I would consider to be an objectively impressive performance. And yet they're both DNFs. <laughs> and that's wow. how they're listed in the official results. <laughs> what, what I think is the exact wording of, of the, the text thread was, one. this is George, 101 laps and those Belgians decided not to keep going. That's insane. He says, that's insane. And my response was, what's more insane, stopping or continuing? And then George's response, right, ultra in a nutshell. And I <laughs> I, I think that's it. You know, I, I, I think it just encapsulates what it is to be an ultra runner because ultimately I've never been to another type of race where you feel as much part of the community, whether you're at your first or your 10th or your hundredth, mm -hmm. um, it's just a different feel. And so I felt like that, that really did encapsulate it. Yeah. And yeah. it's completely stupid. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did pretty, like your comment though. What, 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 what what's stupid, more but... stupid, what's crazier stopping or, <laughs> or continuing, or not stopping. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you on that. I, I, I think you're exactly right. Michelle, what'd you say? 
I said it might be pretty stupid, but it's sure become pretty popular the last few years. So, no doubt, man. <laughs> no doubt. Very good. Very good. Oh, that's um, and stupid then... with two O's. S-T-O-O-P-I-D. Yeah. <laughs> right. Of course it yeah. is. Um, and and of course, while we're talking about ultras, let's talk about Tim Tollison real quick. So Tim Tollison, a couple of weeks ago, um, released a video that was produced by Koros. Um, and uh, it was a super interesting video. And it happened to drop right about the same time that Molly Seidel's interview with Runner's World dropped, which was about a lot of the same topics. Um, and each of them were essentially talking about um, the struggles that they have had um, with their body image, um, despite the fact that they've both been super successful um, in distance running, and despite the fact by any objective standard, they are fit, healthy, and thin. Um, each of them have struggled with with their with body image over the course of of, of their careers. Um, Michelle, I know you know you uh, you wrote a lot about the uh, Tim Tollison piece on our on our Google Doc. What do you think about it? You know, I've always I'm a big fan of Tim Tollison. I've followed him since uh, he ran the road, you know, Olympic trials in the marathon in 2012. And I've always thought that there was some type of like this is going to sound crazy, but I'll just say it, whatever you can edit it if you want. But it always felt to me like there was some sort of demon for him. Mm -hmm. um, he was very, you know, like he he'd show up at the the more well-known but not major races and. Um, but it always felt like he just put everything, his entire being into UTMB once he kind of moved to the ultra scene. And I thought, you know, this video was amazing because, um, it basically said exactly that he said that he, once he transitioned into the road, um, from the road to ultras that he, he viewed success at UTMB as like the ultimate way to validate himself as a runner. And that is kind of like the motif of how he's lived, you know, for the last at least five, six, seven years. Um, so I've, it's not it's not like I just think that, but like I've heard him talk about it before and, you know, he mentioned it again. Um, and he and he has done amazing there. I think in 2017, um, him and maybe only Francois and Killian went under 20 hours. Right. Uh, but there's actually like a dark side to it. Um, he was extremely vulnerable and he talked about, you know, how races like UTMB have allowed him to kind of hide behind uh, like external shells that he's developed throughout his lifetime to protect um, basically the things that he's insecure about or afraid mm -hmm. of sharing with other people. And he defined mm -hmm. that as quote, my body. Um, and he basically said that he realized the biggest challenge uh, for him was having to like make peace with, with his brain and get over, um, the belief that asking for help, you know, was a weakness. Mm -hmm. And he said that he's counted calories every single day since 2003, which just sounds unbelievably exhausting. Um, yeah. I think, you know, these eating disorders, uh, they start as a, a form of control and it, and it, and it does start as control, but like very quickly, the mind <laughs> actually has so much more control than, you know, any individual, and he, you know, basically through therapy found that uh, the eating disorder was really just a symptom of extreme body dysmorphia and OCD. And he has been in therapy now, you know, I guess building up to Western States, it was maybe uh, like a six month period of time. And he said, it's the best that he's felt. And, you know, he didn't have the exact performance that he wanted there, but just the fact that he was able to line up there, which is a race that he ordinarily wouldn't do because he felt like literally it's just his body would be on display. He didn't start, you know, into the night and um, started, you know, really early in the morning. And it's just, it's a worthwhile video. Uh, it's only like 20 minutes. It's on YouTube. Right. And I would say, you know, really good for him. I, I have to think he's been coached by Mario Frioli for a long time. And Mario has been you know, pretty vocal about his past struggle with disordered eating. And uh, like, we've just, the more the elite, whatever, elite, not elite, but the more that men, you know, come out and speak about it and people just read it and either like corroborate or just don't, you know, they don't dehumanize them for this experience. Like these are not the only guys going through this stuff. No. Um, so for me, I feel like, wow, this has got to be so amazing for him just to get this 
off of his off of his plate, you know, to like go public with it. And um, hopefully, you know, whether it's States or UTMB, I mean, hopefully it'll, he'll have some, some more success with running, but it won't be like, he won't need it in order to validate himself. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, no, um, I know exactly what you mean. I, so, it, it, it was a great piece, not only for the, those sort of overarching things that you talked about, but even like the small struggles that he faced along the way some of it was just really yeah. eye-opening and impactful he talked about how he liked doing ultras because like you said he would be running at night and so people couldn't see his body and right. then by the time that the sun came up and people could see his body then he would have been running for 12 hours and so he'd be skinny he'd um, be thin right exactly yeah. and 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 of course this is all taking place against the backdrop of him being interviewed and you look at him in the interview and he's tiny you know, um, and and he he's strikingly thin, as you would expect somebody who's a you know, world class ultra runner to be. Um, but but yeah, it's it, it it was very striking, very interesting, and 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 he certainly uh, made himself vulnerable um, on on this. Um, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it and appreciated it. I'm a fan. Um, I think it means a lot. And this is something that can potentially segue into our talking about the book, since we're going to be doing this here this afternoon. Um, but I, I think it's very interesting when people who have had a very high level of success, um, uh, finishing on the podium at UTMB and qualifying for Olympic trials and just being highly decorated um, in their field, um, uh talk about how it hasn't been this straightforward process. You know, you, you look at them from a distance and you think they're so charmed and, and wow, just everything just goes right for them. And they just always have a good risk and, and they, they must just have such a wonderful life. And that's not, that's mm. not the impression you get at all, you know, and, and the same sort of struggles and self-loathing and, and frustrations that the rest of us feel are things that he has felt as well. Yeah. 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 Um, Eric, what'd you think? You know, I, I messaged you guys after I watched the video, I messaged you guys that 18 second portion where he talks about, uh, and Michelle's already mentioned it, you know, making peace with your brain. Mm -hmm. And I, I took, the, you know, his story is amazing. You guys have already covered it. I don't need to talk about that at all, but I think that is the big hurdle that's the biggest hurdle and for many people it's a wall they never get around it you know I, I like to think of things as hurdles you can go over around knock through it mm -hmm. but i think for a lot of people that's that's the wall mm -hmm. and for him to battle not just the rigors of an ultra but yeah. to be battling that in the background yeah. and and you know in the workup and the i i can't imagine his mental strength has to be 10 times what mine is. Hmm. Well, yeah. it's probably more than that. It's 10 times what mine is just to perform the way he does, but then to perform yeah. the way he does with this anchor. That's so like he's fighting with one arm tied behind his back. Yeah. 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 And, or, or, and then or fight, fighting a battle on two fronts, whatever metaphor you want to use. I think it's a really good point you just made. Right. And what, what was cool though, I, I think at the end, he starts talking about, you know, one of the things that helped him. And this is something that I think you know, lots of people need to understand is, is literally just talking about it. And Michelle touched it on, touched on that, like talking about it, talking mm -hmm. through it, like normalizing it for himself, understanding that it's not just him and verbalizing it actually helped him is helping him work through it. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. I thought it was really good, but you know, you. we talked about the whole, the straightforward path and everything's great for them. You know, we read Alexi Pappas's book, mm -hmm. I mean, her childhood's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's her childhood is totally messed up. And that shows you that there, these aren't straightforward paths and people carry things with them. And some of them make them stronger, I'm sure. And mm -hmm. some of them hold them back and some of them probably do both. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's funny. My sons are in third grade. They're eight years old. Um, and, and, they have just just barely started to scratch the surface on issues like racism. Just barely. I mean, that's not a concept they can totally wrap their minds around, right? They've essentially heard of it at this point. But they've started asking a lot of questions. Um, and, and they were asking a lot of questions about Native Americans the other day. 
Um, are they all dead? Where are all of them? What happened to all of them? You know, that sort of thing. And and how do you describe genocide and cultural genocide to an eight-year-old? You know, and, and so yeah. these are conversations that we have begun to start having. Um, and and the other day I, I said to them as we were talking about this sort of thing, because they were talking about how they felt like the kindergarten Thanksgiving play that they put on was was wrong. And it kind of was, <laughs> or at least it was a gross oversimplification. Um, and, and, but they were like all fired up that they were forced to be in a play in kindergarten three years ago that they felt like was wrong. Um, and, you know, I, I appreciated their, their indignant indignation really. But, um, but at the same time, um, I said, I said, one of the things you're going to find as you get older fellows is that things are always more complicated than they appear. Um, and I think that that's one of the, the, the big takeaways over the course of the last, really the last year. Um, with a lot of the books we've read, um, with Let's Get Physical, with with um, um, all the various books we've read, is that things can be just so much more complicated than we initially think they're they're going to be. Um, yeah, just doesn't you know nothing is. If it seems perfect, it's probably really not. Right. <laughs> it's right. kind of like right. moral, I think. <laughs> Well, on that point, like I said, that's actually a pretty good segue into talking about the book. <laughs> and so, Let's so the it. book, of course, the book of the quarter was was how she did it um, by Molly Huddle and Sarah Slattery. Um, two of them were um, or are uh, world class runners um, um, and professional runners. Um, and this is not a spoiler because they talk about it in the very beginning of the book. And well, actually, we're going to give spoilers anyway, because this is a book review. But uh, but they were out on a run and they both start talking about how they wished when they were younger that there had been some sort of resource that that had uh, told them about success stories, about women runners and given them advice about nutrition and training and things like that. Like so much of the things that they had learned and, and that helped them grow as athletes over the course of their lives were things that they had picked up in this sort of haphazard fashion um, and they wish there had been sort of some sort of central resource and so they said good for them they said let's do this let's 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 actually create that ourselves um, and so what they did is they 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 wrote this book and then the opening chapter of the book um, is basically all about our current understandings um, about good nutrition and good training and and the biological process and the physiological uh, steps that are necessary to develop as an athlete. Um, and then the remainder of the book was profiles of 50 different uh, women runners um, and the various things that they've experienced over the course of their lives. The reason why I said it was a good segue is because one of my big takeaways, and we'll talk about our big takeaways, um, but one of my big takeaways is that virtually all of the women that told their stories um, had faced some sort of obstacle along the way. Um, and, and sometimes those obstacles were historical and structural. You know, they talked to Catherine Switzer and they talked to, to Joan Benoit Samuelson and they talked to Shalane Flanagan's mom and they, they talked to all these different, different women. They talked to Lynn Jennings, um, who, who were coming along during a time when running was not something that women did. Um, um, and so they all have those obstacles, but then you even had like current runners like Emily Sisson and Eilish McCollin and, and folks like that, that talked about how they were still running across issues and obstacles they were facing in their lives. Um, that was very striking to me. I mean, Michelle, did you find that too? Yeah, I think there's, um, you know, I would say maybe not as much with the current, the women in the book who are currently professional runners, but I felt like at least for the women that really dominated, you know, in the mid to late eighties and the nineties, I mean, they really, a lot of them came from, you know, there was a lot of like socioeconomic adversity also, like mm -hmm. it wasn't these kids went to, you know, these prestigious high schools and, you know, were star runners at Stanford and, and some of them got there, but for a lot of them running, like was their way into almost like a higher echelon of society, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It got them into college. It paid for their education. Like they, they just, you know, they got good at it and it, it kind of moved them from maybe one path in life to the path that they ended up taking, which was, you know, going to college on a scholarship and becoming mm -hmm. a professional runner. And I was just, you know, a little taken aback by how many of them, the backgrounds are they're not, they're not the same, but, but they're so similar. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, and For now, sure. like, 
you know, if you have Emily Sisson, she's the brand new American record holder in the marathon. I mean, the women who dominated in the in the 80s and 90s, they they carved out the you know, the way that the programs are now. So it's a little bit less of that now. It's, you know, the, these systems are in place uh, for most people growing up, so to speak, but they but, weren't 20, 30 years ago. But they still run into issues. I mean, like Sarah Vaughn, for example, Sarah Vaughn talked about how when she was at, at the University of Colorado, um, she got pregnant and there were basically no resources there to support her in that. Um, she had an advisor that suggested, hey, you should probably just drop out and come back after you've had your child. Um, I mean, and okay. so, 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 I mean, I, I, I thought, I thought that, that it, it's, it's just interesting because I totally agree with you that, that, that you had these, these folks that were paving the way in the, the seventies, eighties and nineties and, and life is so much better now for, for female runners, but, but there was not a person I felt like in that book that it just had, that just had an, a smooth path. Do you know what I mean? No, but I would say that even now that if you were, uh, you know, a division one athlete on scholarship in college and you were pregnant and you wanted to, you know, marry your partner, have the child come back to the team, finish school. I don't even think athletic departments now are, are set up for that situation. So I hear I mean, Sarah Vaughn is an example, but I think that she's a little bit of an outlier because of like the path that, that she took. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's, you know, positive, negative, good, bad, right or wrong. I'm just saying her she situation, I think is a little bit yeah. different than, yeah. I agree. So I agree. I agree. But, but, and, and that, that actually segues into to something else that, that was one of my takeaways. It's related to this one is that, that um, so many of the women in the book uh, I felt like because they faced obstacles, they turned around and tried to create institutions or build processes that would keep other people from facing those same obstacles. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I was and super I impressed by that. Yeah. I think we've really seen just that just start to kind of blossom and, and hopefully nowhere near, you know, fully blooming just in the last really three to five years. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, th I think it takes a special type of person um, to to undergo some sort of hardship and then turn around and say, say, I don't want other people to have to undergo that sort of hardship. It shouldn't be like this. Let, let me actually put something in place or, or get some process going that will smooth the path for other people. Yeah, um, I mean, a great Solomon just had a, just had a half marathon and they like, not only did they have lactation stations for women, but they offered childcare. Mm -hmm. Right. So every That's little cool. step like this, yeah. um, is just, it's so needed and, and it's so amazing. And, and these women, you know, I mean, I don't know that I would credit Joan Benoit with, <laughs> you know, this type of, but the people that came after her for sure, because they have children during their careers and they didn't have these resources and they were pressured to come back and, um, yeah, I think we're just going to keep seeing more and more of that. So, mm -hmm. and I think it's great. Um, and, and I, and I, and I think that that's, that's something that I found very, uh, very thematic throughout the book. Um, it's some, certainly something that emerged and it's something that I found very inspiring for sure. Um, did you ever wish as you were reading, well, I, I have two main things. One is, um, if they had just maybe taken like 10 athletes and spent, mm more time yeah talk 10 in-depth stories mm -hmm. rather than a few dozen you mm -hmm. know professional runners and their story just on two to three pages because mm -hmm. as much as they wanted the book to be like a resource mm -hmm. I felt like you cannot tell these people's story you yeah. know in two to three pages in a book like I would have rather read 10 pages about Dina Evans yeah you know than just like come on you cannot put her some of it was just a little, um, it seemed frivolous, like not like it's good detail, but it's, but it wasn't resourceful, so to speak. I, I think that's a good point. Um, I, I'm always, generally speaking, I'm always going to, to favor depth over breadth. I'm always going to say you're better off learning about five people in a really detailed way rather than learning about 50 people in a very superficial way. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, that's related to what we were talking about just a minute ago about how stories tend to be more complicated than sometimes they appear, right? right. Um, and so so I, I very much prefer 
to take that time and to delve into the complications, right? Um, that being said, I I think that this one, this book had a little bit of a different approach because it stretched across a wider uh, swath of people. I think that one, you were able to to sort of look at these larger overarching themes, um, and 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 just by by virtue of repetition, the themes were strengthened. Um, and then two, I think that that one of the things they might have been trying to do was to try and find one person for everybody, if that makes sense. So like oh. every every girl that reads this book, maybe there's one person in there that identify with, right? So and maybe if they share 50 stories, then that increases the probability that everybody's going to find at least one person in there. You see what I mean? So who do you feel the target audience of this book is? It's not you. No, I definitely was not the target audience. I wrote that <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> I very I very much enjoyed the book, but no, I, I was not the target audience. Um, and in fact, when when I was able to get away from the authors and just read the 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 accounts, the 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 pieces that came direct, the, the words that came directly out of the mouths of the subjects of the 50 women, that's the part that I enjoyed the most. Like the the opening chapter in which they talked about the physiological process well, of, of running yeah. and all that sort of thing. I thought that was super necessary and important, but like, I was like, this is not for me. Like this is for people who are brand new in the sport um, and, and don't maybe have a lot of guidance and don't maybe have a whole lot of people around them that understand what it is they're doing um, and, and that need um, this sort of resource. Right. Yeah. I would, I would say the, the beginning of the book, if, if you're a high school or college coach and you're coaching female athletes is a very, you know, worthwhile mm -hmm. read, so to speak, mm -hmm. but, yeah. um, but, I, but I think it was for those high school and college athletes. Um, um, and I think that's good. Um, I don't have any problem with that. And so, so I think that, that given that, then they probably said, all right, we're going to put 50 women out there, um, or 40 women out there. Um, and, and maybe, one of them are going to to inspire the others. Now, I, I say 40 rather than 50, even though I said maybe I should say 45 rather than 50, because I think a few of them they put in there for the sake of drawing contrasts. Um, that was one thing that I thought was kind of cool. Um, one of my favorite chapters was the one with Eilish McColgan and Liz McColgan. Yeah. Um, and they put them together, mother and daughter. And Eilish McColgan, you know, Commonwealth champion, Commonwealth Games champion, um, uh, great runner. Her mom was, I want to say, an Olympic champion in the 10,000 meters, um, yeah. or at least an Olympic medalist in the, in the 10,000 meters. Um, and, and it was funny because Eilish McColgan would go through and say, yeah, I have this and I have this doctor and this chiropractor. And my nutritionist says this and da, 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 da. And then it would kind of cut to her mom and her mom would go. I didn't have any of that. Yeah. She like, grew up on a farm in Scotland with one pair of shoes. <laughs> Yeah. And it, and it was just such a, such a stark reminder of how far women have come. And that's literally over the course of my running career. That's just in the past 30 years. Um, because Eilish McColgan is not even 30 years old. I remember watching Liz McColgan race when I was in college. Um, yeah. and so, so that's just over the course of the past 30 years. That's just over the course of my lifetime of running. Um, what do you think about, um, you know, I mean, we talk the, the group training scenario kind of dominates uh, the professional running scene today. Mm -hmm. But one thing that really stuck out to me in the book was most of those women are soloists. Yeah. You know, like they like, and, and a lot of those records, um, some of them stood for, for decades. So what, so I, I, I think that's interesting you say that. And I, I, I'm curious as to what you attribute that to, because I'll tell you exactly. Tell me what. So, and I will relate this right to, um, Emily Sisson has, you know, made the podcast rounds uh, since her American record performance in Chicago two weeks ago, and she's one that trains on her own anyway. Um, but I think a lot of these athletes, they were not in groups for, you know, really, I would say probably till about 2010 to 14 groups weren't even prominent the way that they are now. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, the athletes have way more undivided attention from the coach and the coach just almost, you know, unequivocally has more time to have eyes on the athlete. And I think that that ability for the coach and the athlete to just totally, you know, be tuned in to just each other versus a coach who's got a group of 10 women and seven of them are Olympians. I mean, I really think that 
other people can can elevate other people's performance. But if you're talking about world class, like reading this book really made me think, I don't know if, you know, if Bowerman Track Club or NAS Elite, like, I don't know if these groups are really the ones that uh, will give women, you know, world-class performances and longevity in the sport. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, and, and what's funny, the reason why it stood out to me and the reason why I asked you what your explanation for it was is, is for two reasons. Number one, because when I came out of college, these groups didn't exist. Right. Like like bridge groups like like Nazalite and like Bowerman Tri Club and like Zap Fitness, Zap Endurance didn't exist. Zap Endurance was founded by Andy Palmer specifically to fill this need. Because they said that, you know, you have all these great collegiate athletes that come out of the NCAA that are marvelous American runners. And then there's nothing for them that bridges that gap to to becoming a world class runner. Um, and we've talked about that before on, on this podcast that, that um, you know, they have these corporate systems like in Japan and stuff that help bridge that gap. And we don't have anything like that in the United States. Um, and and. You have things like all these different teams that are able to bridge that gap and provide good training and medical insurance and a safe space and, and an income for all of these athletes so that they can continue to focus on training in order to try and get to the next level, right? Um, and that's been a good thing. I think that that's made us more competitive on the global level yeah. um, to actually have those. That was something we were lacking. But then it's interesting now that you point out that, okay, so now we have those. And you have all these women who are choosing not to take part in them. Um, you know what I mean? And I, yeah, so, 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 are, so that's striking to me for sure. These are the women, like, you know, Molly Huddle, Huddle, I mean, not the last two years, but she's dominated the 10,000 meters and the two women that finally broke the American record in the marathon after, you know, yeah. nearly two decades are, they train by themselves. And, yeah. yeah. Um, well, and, know, so, and, and so the, the other thing that the other reason why it stands out to me is just because, because, um, so many, as we were saying before, so many of the women in this book care about other women. Right. And so, so they, 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 they are relationship oriented. Right. Um, and so, so they say, you know, I, 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 I'm not selfish. I see other women. This was hard for me. I want to make it better for other women. And so, so they seem to be attuned to the needs of other people. Right. Which would seem to suggest that they they are group people, for lack of a better way of saying it. Do you know what I'm saying? That yeah. they, they, they would be inclined towards relationships that that would be uplifting, but yet, like you said, they so many of them opt to train solo. I, I think it's interesting too, um, for sure, um, for sure. As somebody who wasn't able to sustain high level training immediately out of college because I didn't have that group structure anymore. Um, I find yeah. it super interesting too. I'll yeah. also say, you know, something else that I found, uh, and I know that I honed in on this maybe more than other people that read it, but most of the women who are featured, you know, this book was, they started this kind of right at the beginning of the pandemic, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit into the pandemic, but people's, almost everybody who, you know, was at a high level then and is still running at a high level now, they're, they've like obliterated the PR. their PRs. Yeah. Like, yeah. and you texted us talk, that part way through. We can talk about shoes or we can't. We we would never talk about shoes on this podcast. But I mean, <laughs> you see years and years and years of people's times from, you know, like an 800 meter in high school to 3000 meter in college. Maybe they moved up to the 5K as a professional and the spread of, of the way that they PR because the book lists a high school, college and professional PR. Mm -hmm. It is so much smaller for these women that ran in the eighties and nineties and up mm -hmm. to, I don't know, 2016, mm -hmm. right? And now you see like these massive jumps in, yeah. in the same people's PRs in the books from mm -hmm. what was printed in the book to like right now. Yeah, That's not that long. Yeah, That's no, like massive history and running being rewritten a book that's essentially i mean it's not a new release anymore but come on it's within a year mm -hmm. you know it's basically basically a new release so mm -hmm. um, i agree with you i think i i, I totally agree and I, and I don't think it's just shoes and i don't know exactly what it is um i think it might be part of that that post-pandemic jump that we talked about so often and 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 the, the various reasons for that i mean what is it 12 of the top 25 women's marathon times ever just now have been run in 2022 yeah, um, but 
I have I opinions mean, it's, on it's, that. We you, don't you, do, you, you have opinions on that that are related to performance enhancing drugs, but, but yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I agree. I mean, I don't agree with the performance enhancing drugs part, but, but, but I, but I agree that there's been this, this huge upward spike over the course of the past couple of years. And, and you can even see that reflected yeah, in this book. But I just want to clarify, I'm not even talking about the actual time that women are running. I'm talking about, if you look at somebody like Dina Castor and you look at the spread of, you know, what she ran in, in college versus the end of her professional career. And the, you know, maybe there was like a 30 second difference in a 5k PR from college to professional or, right. you know, 90 seconds in a 10, like you're seeing people like it might've taken her 10 years to make that jump. And you're seeing people now make, you know, double the jump and way less time. Yeah. Um, right. And even as much time as the book was written verse now. Yeah, I agree. So. I agree. And, I, and, and, and again, I, you're totally right about that. And, and plus, I, I think that you see like Lynn Jennings was one of the best in the country as a high schooler, and then as a collegiate, and then as a pro, right? Whereas now you're seeing people that were, they like weren't even region champion in high school. And they're, yeah. and they're like now professional runners, right? And so like the, the delta of change over time, I mean, it, it is pretty incredible, too. I, I think I think there's a lot of potential reasons for that. I think that Perhaps one of the good reasons or one of one of the one of the possible reasons is that we're we're training women better. Like Maybe. like rather than just sure. wiping them out and exploiting them and and running them into the ground when they're high school, um, we're actually keeping we being US coaches are keeping an eye on their long-term development. Um, we're ensuring that we don't burn them out physically and mentally. Um, and and they're able to continue to improve and sometimes radically improve well into their 20s and 30s. Um, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's it's like a I would consider this book like a beach read, just mm -hmm. like easy to pick up. It know, was easy to read. I agree. With um, just stories here and there. You don't have to be super focused or, you know, have quiet to read it. And and I do think what you said, like there is there is something, you know, for everyone. There is there is probably especially if you're a female high school or collegiate runner right now, there's somebody, <laughs> if not a few somebody's in that book that you can probably relate to. All right. What is our next book? It's released on the 18th of this month. I don't usually jump into a book that's only been out for three days, um, but <laughs> I really, really do feel like it's important to jump on the running wild black bandwagon. Um, it's author is uh, Allison Mariella Desir. She is a disruptor and activist. She actually founded Harlem Runs. Um, she and her husband and her young son moved from New York City uh, to Seattle. She took a quote unquote, like ambassador type of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion role with Wazell. Um, I think it was intended to be a longer official role there, but she's no longer, you know, directly affiliated with them. Um, but she is still in Seattle and she did write this book. And I, my understanding is it, it, it's, reads just a really important story um both you know i don't think it's this oh man it's so hard to talk about race <laughs> mm -hmm. you know i don't i guess that's the point i want to read the book i i know her you know i've been to wazelle camps with her like i um obviously hoping that she'll come on the podcast and talk i was a little bit taken aback by the national publicity that the book's gotten, but I mean, Danielle Friedman also got amazing. You know, maybe if you're friends with me, you just get <laughs> to be the cover of the New York Times. And I think Allison was on Good Morning America, you know? Um, so this is, this is, it hasn't, it hasn't worked out for me yet, Michelle. <laughs> you didn't publish your Eric, have you been on, have you been on, uh, invited to be on Good Morning America just yet? <laughs> Well, publish something and then we can see how it works out. But okay, point no, I, I think that this book is reaching far more than just the running community. So I feel like it's important if we're going to read a book. I've got lots of other stuff on my nightstand that feels like it can wait and this doesn't. Uh, cool. She read her book. So the audio is her, mm -hmm. which I know we've spoken many times about. I love that. So that's probably the medium through which I'll listen. And yeah, I'm pretty excited to dive into it. So. I'm excited to read this book, mostly Welcome because, back. yeah, mostly because when you, when you presented it originally, I said, I don't want to read that book. <laughs> um, and, and I'll be honest, I read the 
uh, I read the interview and I said, this doesn't make me want to read the book anymore. Um, but having heard your description of it, since you actually read por a portion of the book and whatnot, I, I'm kind of excited about it because I, I like doing things that kind of challenge myself. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm hoping, and, and I'm interested and I'll, I'll go ahead and buy this one and read it. Yeah. So it's it's running while black, finding freedom in a sport that wasn't built for us by Allison Mariella Desir. Um, and so we will look forward to reading that. Thank you for the uh, recommendation, Michelle. Your recommendations have gone well over the course of the past <laughs> short while. For the most part, <laughs> <laughs> easy soldier. Um, no, you 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 definitely have recommended more good good books than bad ones. So 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 I uh, I I think you recommend good books. I'm excited to read this one. I look forward to it. Join us, folks. We will be reviewing it in January. Uh, Eric, thanks for being with us, man. And uh, we're probably not going to talk before you do the Delirium 24. So good luck. We look forward to hearing how it goes. I really appreciate that. I did have a final thought if I if I have a moment for that. Let's hear it. Uh, Grace, my daughter, who is also an ultra runner, she um, she actually got into running and she was really fast. And then it just didn't like the speed just I don't know, it just didn't continue. So she got into ultra running and that's always been kind of a joke. You know, I'm not fast, but I can run for 24 hours. <laughs> I sent you guys a picture the other day. She went running with a friend at Duke. Um, and who happens to be a, a boy, um, mm -hmm. he's a senior and he mm -hmm. runs pretty quickly. And she told me what the plan for the day was. And it was a progression run where they were gonna start wherever and end up in the low sevens. And I said, well, that'll be tough. So near the end of her run, I knew she was out running and near the end of her run, I just checked on her and, you know, um, you know, kind of like um, find my friends or whatever. We have this um, thing called Life 360 and that's so she can keep track of where Melissa and I are. Or we can find one another, especially with all these, all the running we do. And I looked down and she's on the greenway or the, the tobacco trail. It's given her the symbol of a car because it, her, her phone actually thinks she's in a car it's so shows, good. and it shows that she's going 10 miles per hour. <laughs> Does, yeah, it does. Does Grace know that um, she's been her runs are not only being tracked on Strava, but her Life 360 app is also helping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She actually does, and she doesn't mind because there's been plenty of times where she's called me and said, "My run's not going very well. Can you come pick me up?" <laughs> so yeah, that uh, works out well. Yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd I'd share that because she's noticing now. Oh, I've got some speed in my legs, and she's starting to throw. She's starting to listen to me and throw some more speed workouts in and and i think she's enjoying that and i think everybody should should test that a little bit now that the temperature has changed it's it's a different world out there and have fun she may need to sign up for a marathon she or, is or, 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 a marathon. or a 10k she is she, signed up for a marathon um she is. Over thanksgiving she'll run mm -hmm. a half marathon so yeah she's registered for a road marathon uh the city of oaks here mm -hmm. in raleigh yep yep yeah, the one that Eric keeps insisting that he's not going to run, but I can almost guarantee that he will. There's absolutely <laughs> no way I'm going to run that after the delirium 24. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, George, what's the wait list looking like for shut in for you? So I am still stuck at number six. Okay, listeners, um, if uh, you have any friends running that race, please tell them it sucks. And, <laughs> and there's your final thought from Michelle. Uh, Michelle, thanks for being with us. Thanks for uh, recommending the book. Thanks for reviewing this one with us. All right. Have a good night, guys. You too. Bye, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. 
Twitter at official SlayRx and Instagram here for SlayRx, the number four SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.